Hello, everyone, and welcome back to PicardCast. I'm your host today, Rebecca. I am joined, as I always am, by my wonderful co-host, Brooke. Welcome back, Brooke. Hi. Thanks for welcoming me back. Wait, words are hard. (laughs) Words are so hard sometimes. (laughs) It's okay. That's okay. (laughs) <laughs> how are you i'm good i'm good um you know uh still fighting off the pandemic blues yeah i, I understand that one yeah it is uh we're actually recording this on july 4th weekend which if you are a u.s listener means you probably have some time off hopefully um so yeah we are uh definitely still fighting off the pandemic blues in brooklyn as well so <laughs> but you know it's uh it's okay. We're getting through it. Um we have a special guest tonight. Uh it's her first time on our show. Uh we're very excited. Uh you and I think she might be our furthest guest because mm-hmm. she's broadcasting from the future. <laughs> it's uh Kay all the way from New Zealand. Welcome Kay. Yeah. Yay. Thank you very much for welcoming me. I'm looking forward to this whole experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. after you're done, you'll be like, never again will I talk to those two <laughs> crazy people. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's um, it's really awesome to have you on the show. Um, we've been excited to have you on as well because we've never gotten to talk to you before. And now today we get to talk to you for a whole bunch uh, all about Star Trek. So um, being that it's your first time on the show, uh, can you tell us all a little bit uh, how you got into Star Trek? What was your first exposure to Trek? Um, my first exposure was definitely the original series. It was, I was allowed to watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was allowed to watch that. So I was, I was very much into that when I was growing up. Um, I didn't really get into Next Generation so much. I'm catching up with it now. Uh, I think it clashed with the news and in my house, nothing clashed with the news. <laughs> the news <laughs> took precedent over everything else for my dad. So I think that's probably why I never really got into it. Um, and then when Deep Space Nine came along, I, I jumped on board that and was completely hooked from, from day one. So. Very nice. Would you say that Deep Space Nine is your favorite um, Trek series, or do you, or do you have a different definitely. one? Oh, definitely DS9. I bought all the VHSs, which my poor dad then had to try and sell when I finally got graded to DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I would hunt them down secondhand because buying them new at the time was a bit expensive, so it would be all like running around um, charity shops and op-, op shops and just trying to find them. So it felt like gold when I would find one I didn't have. So, yeah, that's exciting when you're when you find one out in the wild and you're like, "This is the thing I've been looking for," and uh, yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that the internet has really taken away is finding things in the wild. You can just eBay for stuff now. <laughs> it takes half the fun out. <laughs> it is true. It is true. I mean, it is convenient. You could just go online and order something, but there's nothing quite like going into like a secondhand shop and you're looking around and suddenly you go, oh, this thing that I've been looking for for two years, here it is, my precious. And you, all of a sudden it's amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, definitely uh, 
would love to know – well, actually, let me tell everybody what we're going to be talking about today before I ask you why you picked it. We are going to be talking about the Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations. And I was so excited when you picked this. This is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek of all time, so I'm very excited to talk about it. Why did you pick this episode uh, for for us, Kay? Um, basically because I think it is the best Star Trek episode of all time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, I think it's almost like the perfect episode because it takes original footage and a new story and puts them together so well mm-hmm. that even when you watch the original, you can still imagine that the other story is going on behind it. And that takes some doing to, 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 to really sort of mesh two stories like that together and make it work. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's the masterclass of editing, coloring, and a bit of visual effects. <laughs> You're absolutely right there. I mean, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, we're talking more than a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about this, uh, the editing and the cinematography and and the blending of the two storylines. Um, and it even comes down to the director, why they picked this particular director to work on this episode. So it's all, it all comes together. And I have some really cool, fun stories for you, uh, about this episode. Um, Brooke, I'm curious, in, as far as like Deep Space Nine goes, have you watched some of it, all of it, none of it? <laughs> um, I've watched all of it. I started a rewatch of it a while back and then we were doing this so I only got like to season two because mm-hmm. we were doing this and I was going to watch stuff for other people and then I watched other things but um, you know since there's going to be less and less new stuff coming out soon I'll probably go back and finish it <laughs> but I have awesome. um, <clears throat> yeah I've seen all of it I uh, dated someone who it was his favorite so we used to watch it all the time <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that's good. I mean, that's good in the sense of like, I'm glad that like, uh, uh, you're familiar with the characters and mm. yeah. So I think oh, for Jazea all three is of us. one of my favorite characters overall. I love her so much. <laughs> I love Jitsia Dax. She is, she's just great. I, I'd love to cosplay as her. Yeah. I, um, I, if I, I ever had the patience do Star to paint the cos- spots. <laughs> if I ever do Star Trek cosplay, it's going to be her. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right. So here's yeah. a question. Uh, Jadzia or Ezri Dax? I like Jadzia better. But yeah. Really good sense of humor. All of the You things- just feel like she's teasing everybody mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing with Ezri is the stuff that gets on her nerves is the stuff uh, that gets on my nerves about her is the stuff uh, that gets on my nerves about my own self. <laughs> Oh, okay. But we've had the same haircut a lot. <laughs> that that is true. Yeah, I I, I am definitely a Jadzia over Ezri mm-hmm. Dax fan myself. Um, which is unfortunate because you know the actress who played her came in did uh, the last season after you know spoilers if you haven't watched any of Deep Space Nine, but Jadzia Dax dies, and so um, then they brought in Ezri Dax to replace to be the new host and uh it just wasn't a good fit and then it was the last season and uh, i just didn't really for me it just never gelled yeah i don't know um, either. yeah unfortunately um but uh, <laughs> i'm sorry Kay, can you say again 
so the trail as a whole are just a fascinating race with the the symbiote and mm-hmm. multiple lives and experiences. Mm-hmm. That's like a whole episode in itself, I think. <laughs> Oh, I, I totally agree. I love the trill. Like as as a species, I think they're like you. I think they're incredibly fascinating. Um, and and certainly we do get to see Jedzia reminisce a lot mm-hmm. through her former hosts in this episode. Of she, you know, Dax the symbiote was alive and had a host during the twenty third century. Mm-hmm. So um, for her, this is almost like revisiting a nostalgic part of her life. And so, um, yeah, it's fun to kind of watch this episode through her eyes, uh, as well. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, there was one more thing I didn't want to ask you, Kay, and I forgot. Um, so I, I, have you watched all of Picard? You, you have, right? Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. So like overall, like, obviously, you know, you don't have to give us an episode by episode what you thought. But, like, overall, were you happy with the series? Did you like it? Were you disappointed or things? Like, how how did you feel overall about Picard? I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to more of it. <laughs> yes. As are we. All of course. So I think it's it got the right tone because it couldn't it couldn't really follow the tone of um, like Enterprise and um, uh, Deep Space Nine because they're so long form and it was a much shorter form, you mm-hmm. know, with only ten episodes. So the story itself had to be slightly different compared to everything sure. else. But I think it had lots of really good elements with like Romulans and Borg and. Seven of nine, so it was and introducing new characters well as well, making the cast a lot more diverse and interesting. So, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, all the stuff that, that we love about Picard too. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, we are going to dive into today's personal log, uh, where we are going to talk all about uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, the uh, trials and tribulations. I almost had the trouble with tribbles, but that is the original episode that this is based on. Um, this is uh, season five, episode six, originally aired November fourth, nineteen ninety six. Um, there's a lot of writing credits to this story. Uh, credits to Ronald D. Moore and Renee Echavarria for the teleplay. Iris Stephen Bear, Hans Beamler, and Robert Hewitt Wolf for the story. And, of course, a credit to David Gerald, I hope that's how you say his name, uh, based uh, who wrote the original Star Trek episode, Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, so, of course, a credit to him. And this was directed by Jonathan West. And the reason why I said that even down to the director was carefully chosen, he uh, mostly uh, has done... Uh, director of photography on a lot of Deep Space Nine and Next Gen episodes besides other TV. He was actually a camera operator on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and he has done a ton of cinematography. So he is like an expert on laying out scenes and how they look. And uh, so he was um, he was really handpicked by Iris Stephen Bear for this episode specifically, uh, which I think is a smart move because uh, as we're going to see in this episode, there's lots of splicing of new footage into the old footage. And um, a fun fact about this episode, um, two years earlier, 
uh, Forrest Gump, the movie had come out, which of course has a ton of this type of, um, CGI effect. And so when they saw how seamlessly, of course, for the time, I think now when you watch Forrest Gump, you can kind of sort of see a little bit how, uh, the graphics are a bit dated, but, uh, it still looks pretty good today. They saw how you could splice in new footage into old and, um, made this episode possible, which is very exciting. And, um, yeah, also this episode premiered on the 30th anniversary of Star Trek. So, uh, this is definitely was not a coincidence. This episode was, uh, written and planned for the anniversary. And, um, it's absolutely a love letter to one of the most loved episodes of Star Trek. Uh, of uh, The Trouble with Tribbles. I think most people who love the original series will tell you that this is definitely, I would say, within their top five. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, I think people know <clears throat> more or less what a Tribble is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or at least they've <laughs> seen one. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, Rebecca owns one. because I have a Tribble! Brooke got me a Tribble! <laughs> I have one too, but uh, I gave it to the dog because she was excited about it. And then, um, <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> she yeah, it doesn't really make noises anymore. But <laughs> I yes, don't ever feed your triples, everybody, because if you feed your triples, oh boy, you're gonna have a lot of triples. They were. Don't feed them. Not even after, not before midnight, not after midnight. Don't ever feed the triples because you'll feed have them a lot like of any tri- star date. That's right. <laughs> On no star day whatsoever do you feed tribbles. <laughs> uh, so here's the synopsis for this episode. When Temporal Investigations arrives on Deep Space Nine, Cisco recounts how he and the crew of the Defiant traveled back in time to the 23rd century to prevent the assassination of Captain James T. Kirk during the original Enterprise's mission to Space Station K-7. Um, and we have actually two sets of casts are listed for this episode. We have our Deep Space Nine cast. So we have Avery Brooks as Captain Sisko, Renee Aubergenois as Odo, Michael Dorn as Worf, Terry Farrell as Dax, Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien, Armin Shimmerman as Quark, Alexander Siddig as Dr. Bashir, Nana Visitor as Major Kira, and then uh, Charlie Brill is playing uh, Arn Darvin. It's he's the original actor from the original episode, which is uh really cool that he came back to play this character again. Uh and then yeah. um Yeah, there is a really uh fun story on Memory Alpha about this episode where basically they decided they wanted to revisit this episode. They knew that the actor who played this character was still alive and available to work. And uh, the Deep Space Nine like writing staff went out to get lunch and they were talking about it. They're like, well, you know, do you think he's going to want to do it? Like, how do we approach him? How do we reach him? And basically they looked over, they happened to look over and two tables over the very actor they were talking about was sitting there having lunch with his wife. 
and uh, which is a huge, crazy coincidence. And so basically, Iris Stephen Bear got up, went right over to him and said, I'm cutting through all the red tape. I'm going to just ask you this question. Let me tell you what we're doing. And he basically laid out the whole idea to this actor and he said, count me in. I, I would love to revisit that that, that character. That's so amazing. I, like, it's so perfect is, considering this episode, how it works. <laughs> it's so serendipitous. I mean, like, you can't make that stuff up. Like, it is just wild. He happened to be having lunch at the same place that the TV Space Nine people were having lunch. And, and they were talking about that episode and that actor, and he was right there. Like, Wild, just wild. So it all came together very seamlessly, uh, which is pretty exciting. I, I love all that little behind-the-scenes trivia stuff about these episodes. <laughs> um, we also have uh, a very small role, but Deirdre Emerson playing Lieutenant Watley. We'll talk a little bit about her later on. And then, of course, from the archive footage, we have our original cast members, William Shatner as Kirk, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, DeForest Kelly as McCoy, James Dewan as Scotty, Michelle Nichols as Uhura, Walter Koenig as Chekhov, uh, Stanley Adams plays Cyrano Jones, the guy who's selling the Tribbles, and then uh, Whit Bissell plays Mr. Lurie, who's the station's uh, manager. Um, so yeah, we've got uh, we've got some pretty we got a stacked cast here. Uh, we're going to jump right in. In the first scene, we see a shuttle pulling up to deep, pulling up. That's not the right thing, but I couldn't think of like <laughs> docking with deep space, pulling up like it's a car, like it's docking with deep space. <laughs> yeah, I think docking's probably a better word. <laughs> I'm no NASA scientist, but it's probably not pulling up. So I'm going to say docking. I mean, it's fine because, you know, once we get done with this call, it'll be like, oh, I'm going to hang up instead of I'm going to disconnect the call. <laughs> yes, I know. I'll just hang up. No, you won't. You will click the end call button is what you'll do. It's not a phone. <laughs> yes, it's true. I do it all the time. <laughs> um and we meet these uh, two investigators from Temporal Investigations, Dulmer and Luxley, uh, which sounds like a like a cartoon duo, like Tom and Jerry, for some reason Except to me. Except for they have no sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, they do not have any humor. They do not like jokes because Dax tries to make a dad joke. She says, uh, I guess you guys are always on time. <laughs> and they're like... No, just stop. <laughs> I just wonder how many, how often they've actually heard that. They must oh. have heard that every single time they show up anywhere, and I can understand. I can understand that one because people always joke about my name. They say, "Okay, are you okay?" And I'm just like, "Yeah, I've not heard that one ever." <laughs> you know? Yes, I get. Uh, I, I get the. Oh, your name is Rebecca, like of Sunnybrook Farms. Yeah. Oh, you're the first person ever to think of that. Wow, look at you, so smart. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So they're here because the Defiant went back in time. Cisco says it was an accident. Um, and uh, basically we're given like a little, we're given like a real quick exposition here by Cisco, which is very helpful that basically two weeks ago, the Cardassians contact them and say, Hey, we've got this orb that belongs to the Bajorans. We want to give it back to them. 
And so the Defiant is sent to go pick it up, basically. And, you know, uh, these things are sacred objects to the Bajorans, but there's lots of fake ones floating around out there. So they go to pick it up and investigate if this is the real deal or not. And it turns out that it's the Orb of Time, which they did not know when they got it, but it's the Orb of Time. Um we see the Bajorans bring it on board the Defiant. Um, and then very quickly, we are introduced to a character who calls himself a Barry Waddle, mm-hmm. uh, which is like this guy, this guy <laughs> straight up from <laughs> what, what a name, like <laughs> this guy straight up from Bensonhurst, like that accent, like what the heck is that accent? Oh my God, it's the humans. I can't believe it. Like, it's just, <laughs> I think he's my neighbor in Brooklyn. I, I don't know. Like, it's... <laughs> I wish he had come out with like a, like a mid Atlantic, you know, like 40s sort of, Oh, it's a, it's some humans. All right. <laughs> 23 skidoo. I can't believe it. Like it's, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> Yeah, so he says uh, he uh, he was trapped on Cardassia when the Klingons attacked. He's been stuck there. Um, he's a he says he's a, a merchant, um, and now he's basically uh, able to escape. Uh, but it, this guy's like straight up one hundred percent racist from the get because he's like people with normal faces, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, what now? <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, I do, I do think it's funny that he says that, uh, the Kardashians drink hot fish juice in the morning, uh, which is pretty disgusting on a lot of levels, um, but that he loves, you know, he orders a rock to Gino right away, and he's like, oh, the Klingons know how to make a good beverage despite being foul-smelling barbarians. So, I, I don't know what this guy's deal is, but he's pretty terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's really, he really, you know, has to push it on the um, Klingon side because, as we find out later, he is Klingon himself. Indeed, yeah, a human. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just used to really pushing that he hates Klingons, just so no one ever figures it out. And it's like it's been like fifty years, buddy. <laughs> can, can you imagine, like? He, like, shows up at a party and everyone's like, oh, God, here comes Barry. He's going to start off about Klingons again. <laughs> hey, everybody, I have Klingons. How about you? <laughs> All right, Barry, we get it. <laughs> Barry Waddle, your racist uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Disown him at Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I suppose he's been trapped in Cardassia after the Klingons attack <laughs> He has to go around saying how much he hates Klingons. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, after saying that the Klingons are foul-smelling barbarians, he leaves on that winning line. And uh, uh, O'Brien and Bashir tell Worf that they like the way he smells. That he smells a little earthy, a little peaty, with a hint of lilac. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So, and Warp's face can only just be one of like, huh? Like, <laughs> confusion on that one? Um, 
I do enjoy how in the next scene, O'Brien is like trying to continue this joke with Jadzia mm-hmm. and be like, next time you see Worf, just sniff the air and be like, is that Lila? <laughs> see what he says. <laughs> I love the fact that she's got her own ways of torturing him herself. She doesn't need yes. any more. <laughs> I, I, so let, let's talk a little bit about, like, b- before we get any further, because we are sort of in, in this point of the show, Jadzia and Worf are a couple, um, they definitely go through their rocky moments. They, they end up getting married mm-hmm. later on in the show. But, like, what did you guys think of, uh, of the Worf Jadzia? Uh, romance. Like, did you like them as a couple? Did you not care for it? I'm just curious what you thought about it. I really liked it. I thought she was, because she's so lighthearted and fun. Mm-hmm. And she clearly really has a lot of love for the Klingon, Klingon culture, like going way back because of the Dax symbiont. Mm-hmm. So, and he's just so super serious that you almost feel like he really needs someone as lighthearted as her, just to sort of balance him out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. What about you, Brooke? Um, I, uh, all of that, but also, you know, she's so, uh, free with like her sexuality and everything and so like open about everything and Worf is so like uptight and, you know, very clinical. You know, he's just, he's, he's not into joking very much and all that. And then like the, the juxtaposition of their personalities I really like together because you know, I think she helps him become more of a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he probably secretly likes it, that mm-hmm. she's the way she is. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't want to admit it. You know, it's like when people tease you, you sit there going, stop teasing me. But secretly you're like, yes, someone's paying attention to me and mm-hmm. I kind of like it. So, <laughs> I, I think that's a very valid and fair point that um, uh, definitely Jadzia because Dax the symbiont has had both male and female hosts uh, has had a wide range of people that they have had relationships with um both uh both male and female and so for Jadzia yes her sexuality is very open it's very um it's almost fluid in that sense because every time the Dax symbiont goes into a new host there's a whole new set of feelings and and thoughts and desires and and certainly preferences and uh, that this host brings to it so it's a very interesting sort of fluidic take on sexuality which you know it's kind of i mean this was 1996 it wasn't really something that people were talking about too much about like fluid sexuality but it, the the dax character is is very much that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because there's the episode where she meets a former partner. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, that was just so amazing. For mm-hmm. the 90s, that was just something that was really groundbreaking. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that episode as well is a really, really good one. I was going to mention that um, because that's such a different, um, different sort of thing as when Esri shows up and Ezri has to take on the Dax symbiote, and she's already married to Worf, and it's kind of like, ah, I I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's got a different yeah. personality, and she's a different person, um, and she wouldn't necessarily do the same things that Jadzia did, you know? Um, so I like the sort of 
the two. The, I, I like how it can show how she, how the the symbiote can react with different hosts and all that. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen any of those kind of episodes, maybe you should go back and watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, d- definitely. I, I I feel like you know Star Trek was in this moment kind of dipping their toe into a more expanded definition of like sexuality, but it's, it's also a little frustrating because you, you think about a character like seven of nine who, when she was introduced on Voyager, the writers right away wanted to make her a queer character that that was from the get. They wrote that character. They wanted her to be queer and the producers and the powers that be, uh, shot that down and said it's too edgy it's too it's too shocking for the audience and so they never pursued it um or they weren't allowed to have that character react the way that they wanted her to so in in picard where they definitely more than imply that she is queer um is really was sort of a a little bit of a what's the right word that they were able to kind of reclaim that Mm -hmm. and say you know what this is what we wanted to do from a long time ago we weren't allowed to but now we can and and i it's yeah i i hope going forward in the other star trek shows that we get we we get more of that we get more and certainly i think uh with discovery of having a, a gay couple and it just being sort of like Oh, there are a couple. Like, it's not like a big deal. It, it's just part, it's who they are. I think that was yeah. a great jump forward in that. A step forward. I shouldn't say like, like they like solved all the problems, but it's a step forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, much better than, I mean, because I'm just starting to rewatch the whole of, um, Next Generation, because I've not watched all of them. I've seen them in piecemeal. Mm-hmm. In the very beginning, you can see, that their attempt to sort of be inclusive has some um, men walking around in dresses and about that's about as far you know wearing the the female sort of version <laughs> of the uniform. Yeah. You can see that going in the background and you're like that that that's trying but not 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 quite succeeding. Yes. So <laughs> that was about as close as it was going to get. <laughs> you get one yes, tiny Yes, you get one tiny point for trying there, but yeah. <laughs> you didn't quite you didn't quite do it enough. Yeah, um, that's, that's not quite what we're looking for, but you know. But yeah, I did pick up as well in Picard that Seven of Nine was more of a queer character than she was in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She was I, I, a lot of person as well. She was a lot more. She was she was less confined by by sort of the model of being on within Star Trek. That she was clearly now independent from whatever, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the the restrictions that she was probably under in Voyager mm-hmm. as a member of the crew. Oh yeah, like once she's outside the Federation, like doing her own thing. I, I think the character we saw you know, on Picard was definitely like the truest version of like Annika Hansen that that we are that we've seen up to this point because you know we. I, I know we're so off from the episode that we started talking about. We're going to get right back <laughs> to it, everybody. I promise. But this is a really great conversation we're having. But um, 
I, I think like, you know, just seeing little flashes of her as a, a little girl before she's assimilated and then she spends so much time as a Borg. And I mean, there's, there's zero room for individuality as being a Borg, of course. And then being on a Federation ship where there's laws and there's strict rules and, you know, this is protocol. Do it this way, not that way. Uh, now that she's outside of all of that, she's herself. Like she's at least. Yeah blossoming into herself and and that's exciting to watch all right so that was a really great conversation and i am not even kidding about that that was really good but we are going to go back to trials and tribulations yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> so um uh basically uh they're on their way back to deep space nine and suddenly there's like chronoton radiation there's flashes of light there's things happening and uh when they Everything's when the dust settles. Uh, Dax says that they're 200 light years from their last position. Um, somebody's using the transporter. Like everything's going haywire. They're decloaking. They don't know what's happening. Um, they're trying to get the view screen up and running. There's another ship out there, and uh, finally all the static clears, and we get the beautiful shot of the original Constitution class Enterprise. NCC-1701. No letters after it. So, yes. Um, very exciting. Uh, watching it live, I remember just being like, oh, what? Yeah, being very excited. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, when the ship shows up, I, I appreciated it, how they weren't um, like, strange like they were in what uh, to, <laughs> tomorrow's enterprise <laughs> figuring out that it's a different because <laughs> all i could hear was not even not even um <laughs> tasha yar saying it but where joe vitale was like doing it oh. <laughs> <laughs> one seven <laughs> Wait, is that a zero or an eight? <laughs> zero. <laughs> they were just like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they 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 didn't do like a super long dramatic like spell out. It was good. Definitely smoother this time around. I agree 100%. <laughs> we'll see if Joe Vitale agrees with us. I'm sure he'll tell us. <laughs> I love how that- to the two... Time time cops. I keep calling them time cops. But oh, that's that's fine. That, that's the right term for them. His ship. And just look on their face like his ship, and they're like, oh, you know, one of his things. You know, <laughs> his ship. Yeah. Well, I do like that they say he's got that. Kirk has seventeen temporal violations, <laughs> and I'm just like, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. The like, whole, is that all? <laughs> I know. Well, all of Star Trek Four was one giant temporal violation. So <laughs> they just lump that together as one. Yeah. yeah, I do enjoy Star Trek Four. I think it's a really fun, lighthearted movie. And plus, they save whales. I mean, what's not to love? So, yeah. <laughs> um, they do say. So they ask Cisco uh, when they arrive. When on what was the star date? He says star date 4523.7, which is June 8th, 2323, 904 p.m. 
And the time cops, as Kay is appropriately calling them, uh, say, oh, yeah, 105 years, one month, 12 days ago, a Friday. And that is accurate because when I put that into the star date calculator, it said it was a Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a Friday, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Attention to detail. <laughs> I love that. Love it. Um, and so, uh, I would hope, a- I would hope that an episode that goes back in time and then gets an actor from the original episode that they're going back in time to would have that much detail when it comes to the star dates. 100% agreed. If you've gone this far, you should at least get the day of the week right. <laughs> <laughs> you got a one in seven chance. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, Cisco says that the Enterprise was orbiting K7, which is one of the old deep space stations. Um, there is some footage um, from the original series. It has been cleaned up and it has been like remastered and redone to make it look a little bit better of the Enterprise orbiting K7, which is pretty cool. Um so we've got some more exposition happening here. Uh, here, so here's the deal. Uh, Barry Waddle from Bensonhurst is not Barry Waddle. <laughs> he is Arn Darwin, a Klingon altered to look human. Uh, and he specifically came aboard because he wanted to use the orb. And, um, they sort of go back and kind of like, basically just fill the crew in on the original story here that basically back you know a hundred years ago he tried to derail federation colonization efforts by poisoning that grain that was being stored on k7 and do you all off the top of your heads remember the name of the grain that Uh, they were storing in k7 no no it was very and very odd looking. <laughs> it was odd looking. It was Quadro Triticale. And that, my friends, is how much of a nerd I am that I knew that without having to rewatch the original. It really, <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue there, doesn't it? Quadro Triticale. <laughs> who, in, in the original episode, everyone has heard of this grain except Kirk. Like, he's never heard of this, but everyone else seems to know exactly what it is. <laughs> And he's like, how do I not know this? And then Chekhov proceeds to tell him that it's a Russian invention. Mm-hmm. But Chekhov thought, uh, said everything was a Russian invention. So, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, Kirk grew up in uh, Kansas. Is that right? Is that where he's supposed to be from? He's from Iowa. Iowa. I don't know. One of those states that's flat with, you know. Yes, corn. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. Iowa sounds so much right. No offense, Joe Stark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, you know, like, that's just what I imagine that he's like, you know, even even in his time, he's still just an American that doesn't really pay as much attention to anything else. If it's not corn, I don't know what it is. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, basically, uh, you know, he gets exposed uh, to be a Klingon by Kirk all those years ago. Um, he gets arrested. The Klingon Empire, basically, uh, they do the whole Mission Impossible thing and they disavow him. And they're like, we don't know anything about this guy. Um, and so he has been floating around, posing as a human merchant for the last hundred years. So 
he's used this orb to go back in time. Um, Jadzia's like, he's pr- probably planning to kill Kirk and alter history, his own history, really, mostly. But then, of course, without Kirk, like, that alters a whole lot of history for the for the Federation and for the whole galaxy, really. Um, <clears throat> and so they decide, well, we're here. We have to try to find him and stop him. But we have to blend in and not interfere with history. Um, so... I, I do enjoy this little uh, quick montage changing clothes scene where they are taking off their uniforms and changing into the original uh, series stuff. The short pants, the tall boots, um, the shirts that are not long enough for some reason. And, uh, of course, Jadzia and her teeny tiny 60s miniskirt and her beehive hairdo, which... It's adorable. <laughs> um, I do like that Jadzia removes her spots. I thought that was that was a pretty cool trick. Um, and they do make a joke about how uh, Cisco and O'Brien are wearing the wrong colors, uh, but that they tell Doctor Bashir like, "Oh no, back back in this time period, command was gold, and engineering and security was red," and in in the more modern times it's it's the reverse and then uh but Bashir makes a funny little joke where he says I'm a doctor not a historian yes. which <laughs> I love a good I'm a doctor not a fill in the blank joke yeah <laughs> well as our listeners know that you definitely do <laughs> oh yeah absolutely I, I enjoy them very much <laughs> so basically um they uh, they do split up. Cisco and Dax go to the Enterprise along with Bashir, with Bashir and O'Brien, and then Odo and Worf go to K seven. And um, we do get to see uh, now some of these sets were rebuilt, but a lot of them uh, there they did try to use any original sets that were still standing. So it's a mixture of both here, which is pretty exciting to see. Um, the bridge that we'll see later on, that is actually recreated and it's, um, it's like redone. So it's, it does look a little bit more streamlined and a little more modern than the original series bridge. Um, but overall, I, I don't, I'm, I'm curious what you think, uh, Kay, since you also got into Trek through the original series like, like I did, um, wh- what did you think of how the sets looked when they were basically supposed to be on, on the original, uh, Enterprise? I thought they looked great. Um, cause this was, this was back in the 90s, so I didn't really know what my career choice was gonna be at the time. Um, and I actually work in post-production, so having things like that, like seeing it from that angle now, um, mm-hmm. I think they did a really fantastic job. That is so cool. I did not realize you worked in post production. That's that is so neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Brooke? That's why I was thinking about the ratings. Sorry? Oh no, so I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. I was going to say that's that's why I was admiring how how well they did the grading. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually a couple of clips on YouTube where they put the the um, the bar fight from DS9 next to the original, which is really worth everyone having a look at because mm. you can see that the original footage is a much paler, so mm. they recolored it. 
graded it um, because they were both filmed on film stock. Yeah, they would have been both filmed on film stock and then scanned in, mm-hmm. and that's how they would have that's how they would have uh, changed it because film stock degrades over time, and it would have been different film stock as well. So um, they have to sort of make up the make up the difference between the two to make sure it does actually blend in. Yeah, that's really cool. I wondered um, when I saw that you picked this one. I wondered, you know, what you felt about sort of the production. I assume that you enjoyed it still after <laughs> all the stuff that you've done, but yep. um, especially oh, in yeah, the nineties, some... it's a little, you know. Yeah, it's for the nineties. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It really, really was, and it still holds up today. I really watched it the other day mm-hmm. off of my DVD and. You know, it's still really good. You can see the occasional wobbly line, yeah. but, you know, the kind of thing that I do, which is Roto, which is when you're placing, like, the characters behind the original footage, you mm-hmm. would have done, I would have done a cutout and then placed it over the top. So, and then you make the edges blend. So if you watch super, super carefully, you can see the odd sort of wobbly, slightly wobbly line. But I think they only had one compositor working on it to put it oh. together. They didn't have a huge amount of big VFX team. So I think they had to do it all themselves, probably on a tight budget and tight time frame. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because mm. whenever you watch these kind of movies, you know, the rest of us, you know, plebeians, we watch these other movies and we see, like, the huge list of all the people on the effects staff. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy to have, like, just the one to think about that. Yeah, and a lot of the people listed on the credits of a film, there's usually at least, like, for every one that you see listed, there's usually at least, like, five or six that haven't been listed. So that's not even the full number of people. Every company gets, like, a limited number that they can put on the screen. So it's whoever's worked on it the most. So uh, sometimes people do get left out. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Man. Thanks That's for that little inside info. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. We got to have you on more often talking about post production stuff. This is actually this is really interesting. <laughs> I mean, besides just having you on more often, anyway. Because... Well, yeah, but I, yeah, but that's. I mean, you're like a great person. Uh, so yes, we'd like to have you on more often. But you also have like interesting things to say about other stuff. So you know that too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do enjoy how they did make sure to put a lot of people moving through the corridors. Like, if you go back and watch the original series, there are a lot of people on that ship. Like, for the size that the Enterprise was, like, if you compare it to, like, the Enterprise D of Next Generation, there's a lot of people on Enterprise D, but you don't see a ton of people walking in the hallways. It's that's they're because they're all working. They're doing their jobs. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's, or they're all in the holodeck causing problems. <laughs> I don't know. Or they're all in engineering trying to stop a warp core breach. They're but all taking they're... the place of all the senior staff who go on these away missions all the yeah. time. <laughs> But, like, if you watch the original series, those halls are jam-packed with people all the time. There's just people walking, walking, walking. And they even, like, class uh, just let out. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So you did it at the quad, bro. Like, it's it's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. It's like, we're showing it shift change on on the original series, and everywhere else it's like, no, it's not shift change yet, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, and even, even they, I think Cisco makes the point like, oh, I forgot how they used to pack people onto these, these old Constitution class ships. And, uh, there's like a, 
for the for the size of the ship, there's a lot of people on there, and and they did make sure to capture that when they just see all these crew, crew people walking through the ship, um, which does make sense. Like later on, when like um, O'Brien and Bashir get picked up after the bar fight. And they cut, and they're taken back to the Enterprise, and Kirk is like asking O'Brien who threw the first punch. My my first thought was, well, wouldn't he like know that that's not part of his that he's not part of his crew, and be like, who are you, Mister? But there's so many people on that ship that he probably has no clue like who that guy is. <laughs> you know, Picard would know probably, Riker would know, but Kirk is like, oh, just another red shirt, okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, so I do enjoy this next scene where Bashir and O'Brien beam into a turbo lift mm-hmm. and um, O'Brien just they're just standing there and he's like deck 21 and and it doesn't move mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> excuse me, as we know, you have to turn the handle <laughs> on the turbo lift to make it go. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like a it's like a passenger window in your car. Like you used to have yeah. to crank the handle and now they're not voice activated yeah Yeah. and i i also do like when when they can't figure it out like what's wrong o'brien's like well let's take it apart and figure it out like he's ready to like dismantle the turbo lift and be like and of course they find out how it works when uh lieutenant well we don't know her name yet but lieutenant watley comes on and she you know twists the handle and says where she's going and they're like oh they feel totally dumb and and uh so i i, I combined combine with bashir's hairstyle <laughs> oh gosh it's that that hairstyle is painful to look at it's it's really painful i don't know i just I love Jadzia's hairstyle in this episode. Like, I love what they did with her hair. It gave her that, like, classic 60s-looking beehive. Like, it's just so perfect for her. And then they give Bashir this awkward, weird comb-over. And it's just like... You know, it was hilarious. Who thought this was a good idea? I don't know. Oh, man. So, um... We get a quick scene here where Cisco is, uh, he's like basically like pretending to repair this panel and Dax is supposed to be scanning for Dart, for Darwin and, and she's like, oh, I love 23rd century design and it's so black and silver and she's, she's really just getting into the nostalgia of it. And I feel like, you know, for us who are the, who are fans of the original series, like I feel like Jadzia in this episode is us. Mm-hmm. Like, can, can you imagine if like we got to go aboard like a recreation of the USS, the original Enterprise, and like use a tricorder and click the buttons on the bridge and and oh my <laughs> god, I I would never want to leave. You'd have to pull me off that ship's uh kicking and screaming i wouldn't want to ever leave it <laughs> yeah I, I i love her her reaction to everything in in this episode um so now uh we we're with odo he's enters the bar on k7 um now this this these sets of k7 uh they had to be completely rebuilt from scratch 
the original sets were lost. They were they were gone, thrown away, burned down. I don't know, but they were totally lost. So they actually rebuilt the sets to the best of their ability to keep it looking like the original 60s. And I, I, I think it looks pretty spot on, personally. I think it looks yeah. mm-hmm. pretty close to the yeah. original. Yeah, production designers don't get enough credit for being able to recreate things like this. They really don't. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about how much time was invested to sit down and watch that episode and pause it and rewind and pause it and rewind and note little how this this line looks and how that seat is and how that fabric looks and how the shine on this thing. Like, there's a ton of time and effort that went into recreating this so that it looked like the original set. Um, yeah, a ton of effort went into that. And, and it really pays off here because I didn't know that this was a recreated set. I thought they just like went, like got the old set again. No, this is totally rebuilt. Um, and, and this is basically where we begin to see some of the splicing happening. So, uh, he sits down and then we get, archive footage of Uhura and Chekhov coming into the bar um, and all that stuff of course is from the original episode um, the waitress comes over and Odo orders a rock to Gino and of course she doesn't know what that is <laughs> and uh, she's <laughs> like you're the second guy to order that today mm-hmm. and he's like well who was the other guy who ordered it and she's like, oh, it was an older guy a human but he said he's going to be back mm-hmm. So we know that, of course, uh, everybody serves Klingon beverages in the 24th century, uh, but in the 23rd, not so much, because uh, they, uh, the, the Klingons and the Federation were at, uh, they had a very tenuous uh, peace, but it wasn't like Federation places were going to offer Klingon beverages, so, um, which is, which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, Odo is like, okay, well, if he's gonna come back, uh, then I better, uh, I better just basically hang, hang around here and wait for him to show up again. Which is like the easiest job in the world. I'll just wait at this bar for the next two hours. <laughs> oh, I forgot whenever, whenever they were talking about the, uh, uh, space station or whatever, and Odo's like, Oh, their, their security is way more lax, you know, cause it's like, that's what he does, but he's just, I know he's like thinking, I keep a tight ship and I know they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway. I, I always love Odo just being annoyed that other people's security is not as good mm-hmm. as his mm-hmm. because, <laughs> well, it's not as good as mine. It's not as good as mine. <laughs> um, and we did get a really cool shot here where they have spliced in Odo sitting at a booth behind Uhura and Chekhov as um, we see Cyrano Jones. He's the guy who's selling the triples. Uh, he pulls one out of his pocket. And, uh, and of course, you know, it's this cute little furry, fluffy thing. It makes a sweet little noise. And Uhura wants, wants one. And Odo's just like kind of fascinated looking at it. Um, and so, uh, so now we jump back to the Enterprise. We have O'Brien and Bashir here. Um, 
it's funny because O'Brien's like, everything is like cross-circuited, it's patched together, um, which, you know, you could see Scotty doing, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense. And, and even Bashir says, oh, it sounds like one of your repair jobs. <laughs> So I guess in the, in the fine tradition of engineers of just making it work, uh, both Scotty and Chief O'Brien just patch it up and well, keep and it going. It's not the same to O'Brien because it's the difference between Scott, Scottish and Irish. True. <laughs> True. And, and at least Colmini is actually Irish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Jay, James Doolin, God bless him, was doing an accent. I mean, we, we've had Faye on, who lives in Scotland, who was basically like, yeah, that's not a Scottish accent, but okay. <laughs> but we, I guess I like, we in America, we're okay with it. <laughs> I like of the three English people we've had, only one of them still lives in England. <laughs> that, that is true, isn't it? That is true. All of the English people have moved to other places. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Scotland for a while, so I think I think his accent's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is a very um. This is off topic. I'm sorry, but I will be very brief about it. There is a very funny YouTube video, and maybe you've all seen it, of uh, a Scottish comedian who watches clips of people doing Scottish accents, and then he like. <laughs> basically comments and ranks them. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's quite funny. And he does, there is a, I brought it up because there is a Star Trek thing in there. And he does, he does make a comment about James doing, uh, and his Scottish accent as Scotty. Oh, um, no, it's a very, very funny clip. I, I recommend you watch it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Bashir is there with his medical tricorder and he is, uh, basically scanning for Darwin also. Um, then we get this other engineer, you know, another random red shirt guy who is like, Hey, I'm supposed to be working here. I'm on the duty roster. Scotty told me to do this. And O'Brien's like, Oh, uh, we could, you know, do this together. It's fine. And, um, and Bashir sings, you know, sells him a song and dance story that he's, using a medical tricorder because he's doing a study about stress <laughs> in the workplace or whatever. <laughs> uh, which is, and it's true, like, that that is the big difference between, like, a medical tricorder and a regular one. The medical one had that extra little spinny thing that was supposed to take, like, your life signs. <laughs> um, so, uh, O'Brien tries to like, oh yeah, well the first thing we should do is do this, and then it like he pulls a wire out, I guess, and it cuts power to the whole deck. It looks <laughs> like, and uh, so Bashir's like, oh, we better get you back to sick bay, and and uh, <laughs> we should, what we should do is pull this. Uh, what we should do is uh, leave this right where it is and plug it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really great comedic moment, and. Uh, Cole Meany has some really great comedic timing. He's a really great actor who's mm-hmm. done a ton of stuff, of course, but like he really shines in this role as, you know, Chief O'Brien. <laughs> I do like him as Chief O'Brien. There's a page on Facebook and all they do is post the exact same picture. The same picture, same picture of Miles O'Brien every day? I love that page. So <laughs> the Picard cast follows it, I'm pretty sure. I, I think, I know, I pretty follow it, but I think the Picard cast also follows it. 
Oh, gosh. Um, I do like that when he says, you know, okay, you take over, but, you know, please don't, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> he's, oh, no, no problem. And he's got this big clunky tool that he's using to, and it's very, it's very original series looking. So it's like, it's right on brand for like the clunky tools that they used to use, which is so funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, so now we go back to K7 and, uh, we get the moment that we've all been waiting for when Worf and the Tribble meet <laughs> because we all know how Tribbles react to Klingons. <laughs> I, I like how the, the Tribble is like cooing and Worf is like, what is that sound? <laughs> and then when Odo like reveals like, oh look, he calls it a, and Worf's like, a triple. <laughs> he's just, he's so upset to see this creature. Um, <laughs> now, th- this next scene is hilarious to me about, they introduced this idea that the triples were the Klingon Empire's mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> that is that- the greatest thing. They sent thousands of warriors out to the Tribble homeworld to eliminate them. And they <laughs> basically, they eradicated the entire species. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is hilarious to me that the Klingons <laughs> spent time, effort, resources, people to go and fight the Tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> oh man what did you all think about this storyline or this this new sort of um canon that uh, the tribbles were the mortal enemies of the klingon empire <laughs> i loved all the stuff was- with Worf because you know there's the whole thing later where they're like or whenever they see the other Klingons and he's like, yeah, they're Klingons. And it's like, what? You know, because they look completely different. And then the whole thing with the Tribble, like, I just love all of that because it's instead of like really doing a whole lot of, um, backstory, like some of it is, you know, well, Tribbles are mortal enemies and we don't tell outsiders about why they look different. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Kay? Yeah, I think it's hilarious, especially with Odo talking about the great triple hunt. <laughs> he just looks happy that he's got something he can tease Worf about. <laughs> it, it, it's just great. I mean, I would... It's genocide, but, you know, it's just like... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no. Genocide? I don't know. Um, it uh, doesn't sound... Yeah. Yeah, it's not as funny when you say that, Kay. Thanks a lot. No, <laughs> I tease, I tease, I tease. No, it's obviously we don't condone genocide on the Picard cast, but um, <laughs> I still tripled out there. I'm sure they didn't get all of them. So yes, and and certainly even if they left just one alive, well, we'll have plenty of yeah. triples very soon. Because they're born so. pregnant. <laughs> they're born pregnant. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, have. Okay, have have you seen the Short Treks episode about the Tribbles? No, I don't think I have. No. Um, if it's a, I think it's about maybe twenty minutes tops. It's on 
uh, oh gosh, here in the States, it's on CBS All Access. So wherever you've watched Picard, I don't know where you get it in New Zealand. Hopefully you will, you have also the short treks, which are those short episodes. Okay. Um, I'll have a- <clears throat> Amazon Prime here. So, um, I don't know whether they had a license for all the, all the stuff on CBS. So. If if you have access to it, I highly recommend. They're all really good, and 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 they all sort of touch on different topics within the Trek universe. But the Tribbles episode is especially hilarious because it explores okay. it explores more of 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 the Tribbles and and how they came to be the way they are. It's it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> Excuse me. So. Um, so after a war it talks about the great triple battles <laughs> that the warriors still sing <laughs> songs about, uh, there's alarms start going off on the station and red alert on the, uh, on the enterprise. Um, so, so Dax and Cisco are like, well, I guess we should go to battle stations. Uh, I do like where Cisco taps his shirt, uh, forgetting that there's no communicator there to, <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just the embroidered Star Trek logo or the, Fe- the Federation logo, and then he's like, "That's right, I need a communicator for this." Um, and uh, this is the part of the episode where um, the IKS Groth has shown up. That's Koloth's ship, and um, he D- Dax is basically like, "Oh, he's not going to attack because." Uh, of course, Koloth told Dax this story about the time he traded insults with Kirk and that he wished he could have fought him in battle. And so she's like, oh, she she wants to go to K7. She wants to go see her old friend Koloth as a younger man. And and Cisco's like, no, uh, that n- not a good idea. And she's like, oh, he's not going to recognize me. It's going to be fun. And he's like... Yeah, too much fun. <laughs> so <laughs> Dax just wants to like, she just wants to throw herself into this, you know, into this hundred years ago and relive her past and, and just like have fun with all this nostalgia. And Cisco's like, we have to like do a job here. So maybe we should not do that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Cisco is aware that time cops are going to have to show up. And anyone that knows anything to do with like Kirk and temporal stuff, they, they know the time cops are going to show up to ask them questions. Yes. He probably has that at the back of his mind as well. Yeah, I don't want to have to explain that one to them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so then uh, now we go to Bashir and O'Brien. They're basically also still searching for uh, for uh, Darwin. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they run into Lieutenant Watley. This is where we learn her name here uh, on on the turbo lift, and she tells Julian, "Your flaps open," <laughs> which is a nice little tongue in cheek joke uh, about his tricorder. And uh, she's like, "Oh, I just transferred over. I have to go into sick bay tomorrow for my physical." Fifteen hundred, Lieutenant Watley, wink, wink. So, you know, she's definitely making the moves here. And uh, th- this is a really funny scene. I thought it was funny. Uh, he- he's like, Watley? He's like, that was my great-grandmother's name. And I'm pretty sure she was in Starfleet. And O'Brien's like, 
well, it's just a coincidence. And then Julian says, no one ever met my great-grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> so he thinks that he basically is destined to meet up with this woman and have a, an affair with her and that he'll become his own great-grandfather. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's very Back to the Future-ish here. But it's like, if he realizes that now, like, wouldn't he have realized that before? You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, yes, it's it's a time paradox. And uh, it's, it's, it's a little Dr. Drew-ish, too, if you mm-hmm. ask me. Like, it's got that... You know, it's got that time paradox there thing. Is, Go back in time and there is an episode of Doctor Who that has, um, yeah, that has a uh, one of those kind of Back to the Future moments, but it's Rose and her dad <laughs> instead of you know Marty and his mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Bashir's convinced that he's destined to become his own great grandfather, <laughs> and o- O'Brien's just like. You're disgusting, and I'm not talking about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he says, so o- O'Brien's basically like, "No, you're 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 wrong, and there's no way." And um, he he uh, J- Julian says to him, which is just a silly thing to say. I can't wait to see your face when you find out I never existed. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien's just like, ugh, I can't with you. Like, I just can't with you. <laughs> oh. Um, so now we get a, another spliced-in scene coming up here. Um, Cisco and Dax are working on another panel, <clears throat> excuse me, in an effort to keep scanning for Darwin, and uh, we see Kirk and Spock walk in um, to the scene, and this is uh, a scene where Kirk is talking to people on the station. And uh, so the scene, uh, the the set where Dax and Cisco are, that was shot on a separate set because in the original episode, there is no panel on that wall behind them. So they shot that on a separate set and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then dropped that whole thing into this episode. Is that something you knew or is that something you looked up? Because I feel like I, you would have been like, hey, where'd that panel come from? Now, <laughs> now you, you're right that I, that is a thing I would probably say, but I actually did look that up. And then I went back and watched the scene and I said, oh, look, they're right. There is no panel <laughs> back there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I looked that up on uh, Memory Alpha. <laughs> so, um, they they see Spock and Kirk and and Dax is saying, um, "Oh, I, he's so handsome! Look at his eyes! I never realized." And and of course, Cisco thinks she's talking about Kirk, and she's like, "No, Spock!" <laughs> and it's so on it's so on brand for Jadzia, right? Like she's always attracted to the the guy that you don't think she's going to be attracted to. Like who? There was like a recurring character that was like. They they would always like meet up for dinner when he was on the station and like he had an exposed brain and she thought it was handsome and uh no one could figure out like what she saw in this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so of course she doesn't really care about Kirk. She's more attracted to Spock, of course. Um, and then, uh, you know, D- Dax and Cisco are kind of talking here, and she's like, I can't believe you don't even want to meet Kirk. And, and Cisco's like, yeah, of course I want to meet Kirk. And he drops a reference to, I want to ask him about fighting the Gorn on Cestus 3, which is the episode Arena. Um, which is another one of my absolute favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, Cisco's like, yeah, I'd love to meet Kirk. I'd love to talk to him. But, like, we can't, we can't cross streams. Like, we can't cross the timeline here. And, you know, Jadzia's just sort of still, like, living in this nostalgia. And Cisco's just like, oh, my God. Like, he's just, listen, just stick close to me and stop trying to talk to people in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we go back to K7 and, uh, Bashir and O'Brien now join Odo and Worf. Uh, and of course they're annoyed because they're like, oh, we've been all over the ship and you guys are just like sitting here, like having drinks and chilling. <laughs> like, how come I didn't get this assignment? You know? <laughs> and, uh, then we get like a really fun, you know, more splicing is happening in the scene. We see people coming into the bar from the Enterprise. And uh, th- so now this is the scene that another scene I think most people were waiting for. How are they going to explain the Klingons? Because <laughs> their <laughs> their look was very different in the original series. And, of course, you know, the waitress points out the Klingons to them. And... Uh, they're like, those are Klingons? And they look at Worf, and they're like, would you like to explain this? And um, so here, Worf does not give any explanation. He just says, it's a long story, and we don't discuss it with outsiders. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and it's... So this this physical difference would not be fully explained until Enterprise. And there's two episodes of, of Enterprise that specifically deal with this, of how the Klingons, why they looked this way. Uh, it's the episode Affliction and Divergence. So if you haven't seen those episodes, they do basically give an explanation, a reason why the Klingons looked so different from original series to the next generation. Um, which, it, it, what's interesting about this scene, though, is um, the, the writers did not want to, they didn't want to give a detailed explanation here. They felt like it would take too much time, and it's such a big question, like, we can't just give it a throwaway line. So they they left it very vague. Of like, well, was it was it this? Was it that? And Worf is like, we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and as well because it's not really relevant to the current story. It would have slowed down the pace of the actual story itself. You sit there making a really long explanation of everything. It's got, you know. Mhm. And, and you know, I I do think it was the right choice because it's like th- this is a big part of the look of Trek. You know, when when Next Generation premiered and the Klingons had a very different look it was never addressed it was just like oh the Klingons look different and even before Next Generation in Star Trek the motion picture 
the Klingons already looked different. They had the, the forehead ridges. So, and they never really went into it. They just changed the design and never said anything. So I think if, you know, for something so big, it, it did deserve more than just a throwaway line. Like, I'm glad they left it vague here. Like, kind of keep that mystery going until they, until they explored it a little bit further with, um, with Enterprise and then gave like a definitive reason of what happened, uh, there. <clears throat> so, um, you know, this is now the bar fight scene. We, we get to watch sort of the build up to it. Um, and, and I know, Kay, you were talking a little bit before about, you know, seeing the side by side footage with like the original and then with the, uh, Deep Space Nine stuff added. Um, I have to say, I, I enjoy this scene when I watch it in the original episode. Um, I really enjoy it. I think even more with the Deep Space Nine stuff added because it's just so <laughs> organic and natural. Yeah. I think the quick cuts as well obviously help keep, keep it looking, looking fresh. But it's, it's interesting to see what they cut out from the original fight when you put mm-hmm. them side by side. It's definitely well worth people having a look at that on YouTube. Definitely. Oh, yeah. It's up yeah, there. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it is, it is just fun to be like, you know, you see Odo being like, what are you doing? Sit down. Don't get involved. But you know, these guys are, these guys are all Starfleet guys. And they're like, oh no, if Starfleet's getting involved, if these guys are, I, 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 I gotta back up my guys, you know, and they, <laughs> they just, they just jump right in, you know, uh, we see O'Brien and Bashir just like punching all these Klingons and whatever. Um, I do like how there is a scene and it's really done so well where, um, Starfleet security like starts rushing in, the door to the bar opens and, uh, we see Darwin, the older actor now, walking past the open door. He like looks in and he's like, whoa, and he just like keeps on going. <laughs> yeah. It's like such a quick little scene. But Odo and War, Odo sees him and he's like, come on, we gotta get him. He's like right there. <laughs> um, so, uh, Bashir and O'Brien get picked up by security and, uh, the time cops now are like, dude, why were your guys fighting in a bar? Like, <laughs> and Cisco's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, they do get picked up. They get uh, brought on board the Enterprise. And um, we do. This is another really great uh, editing and CGI effect. We have all the crewmen lined up. And uh, they've taken out two of the original actors. And they've dropped in O'Brien and Bashir. And uh, Kirk asks O'Brien who threw the first punch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I I love that they made it seem interactive. You know, Brian's like, I don't know, sir. And <laughs> even to the smallest detail that when Kirk walks past O'Brien to talk to Chekhov, you could see the shadow. You could see Kirk's shadow fall on O'Brien. Yep. It's such a little detail. These are professionals. But they are professionals and they knew what they were doing. <laughs> 
Um, it's such a little minor detail, but it makes the scene seem so real that you feel like it, they were really there. You know, it's not just, it's as if there was a person right there and his shadow is being cast on them. And it was just so another example of how seamlessly they blended these two things together. Yeah. That's what you'll generally find in a lot of CGI. Shadows and reflections is what's really holding everything together. Mm. I, I think, though, like, and I think that when, if if those things are forgotten or left out, that's when you're like, oh, I can really see the seams here. I can, I can really yep. see that this doesn't look real to me now. Um, because I, I, I've watched this episode before many times but watching it again yesterday and then again today like with an eye for like looking for the seams and when i saw the shadow i was like wow that just makes me feel like this is just real like it's not just all smoke and mirrors like they were really there and it's it's just such a great great technique and a great effect and I'm just, I don't know, this episode, I'm still in awe of how good it looks. Even now, we're, we're like more than 10 years, we're more than 20 years removed from this episode, it's and like... it still looks good. <laughs> yeah, I know, I forgot, 2020, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're more than 20 years removed from this episode, and it still looks good. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, Kay, uh, can you, can you verify for me that maybe sometimes that's why some of these CG heavy action movies are set at night where it's dark or cloudy so they don't have to do as many shadows and, and reflections? No, that's not the case at all. I think I think when it's set at dark, it's it's an artistic decision. Okay. It, um, when we check over the work, um, we usually um, we take it, we take it up a couple of stops, which is how, how much light's there. You can like raise the gamma so you can really see all the detail. Um, so some of the things I've worked on have been really dark, but I've had to sort of lighten them within the software so I can actually do the work and they do check it. Oh, wow. They do check. So they don't, they don't use dark just to hide everything. There might be a little bit of that, but, um, they don't rely on that. That's for sure because they know people will turn up their TV. Uh, when they have it on DVD mm-hmm. to sort of brighten it so mm-hmm. they can see the edges. <laughs> mm-hmm. um. Well, I'm glad that they're actually doing their work, but <laughs> it's just frustrating <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's like somebody put a lot of work into that and why make it so dark? Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, where were we? Okay, so... um. Uh, O'Brien and Bashir, uh, they leave like the, uh, they leave that room where they were being questioned by Kirk. Uh, there are now tribbles all over the Enterprise. <laughs> they are just, they're everywhere, um, as tribbles are wont to do. Um, we do see that Odo and Worf beam aboard the Defiant. They've got Darwin in custody. And he says that he, he's like, this is no way to treat one of the greatest heroes of the Klingon Empire. And Worf's like, really? Is that who you think you are? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, and he says, no, I, but I will be. And he's talking about his statue in the Hall of Warriors and, um, 
he said, I, I'll have Kirk's head in one hand and a triple in the other. And, and he's like, Kirk's death will have a poetic justice to it. So uh, they know that he's, you know, planning some big thing to kill Kirk. Um, so he gives up to them that he's put a bomb in a triple. <laughs> because why not? You put a bomb in a triple. Um, and so now they have to find the triple with the bomb. <laughs> and, deal with it before it kills Kirk. Uh, we do get this really cool scene of Dax and Cisco. They're on the bridge of the Enterprise. Um, when Kirk comes on the, on the scene and he sits down in his chair, he sits on a Tribble <laughs> that squeaks and he turns and looks to the side and that's exactly where they place Jadzia and uh, she kind of gives him a little shrug like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, it's a fun little interaction, just keeping it as if it was really happening, um, which is great. Um, so, uh, they're trying to use internal sensors to find it, find out if the triples with the bomb is on the ship. It's not. So they basically tell everybody you have to go to K7. You're going to have to search maybe even manually. And, and Jadzia says, that there's 1,771,561 tribbles, which she apparently <laughs> figured out in her head uh, of how many tribbles, each having a litter of 10 um, uh, over three days. And they're like, okay, <laughs> thanks a lot, human calculator. <laughs> um, so he calls, uh, Kirk calls McCoy up to the bridge and, uh, he tells, you know, this is where McCoy tells him that the Tribbles are born pregnant, which uh, is is very convenient. I mean, if you want to if you want to keep, you know, keep your species going, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Just be born pregnant. <laughs> um, Dax here says that she knows Leonard McCoy, uh, that when Emily was her host, she was judging a gymnastics tournament on earth and she met McCoy when he was a student at Ole Miss and that she said uh, he had the hands of a surgeon. <laughs> so, I knew he would be a doctor. <laughs> yes, he had the hands of a surgeon. Dax is, uh, I do enjoy that Dax has just enjoyed their life so much mm -hmm. and has shared their lives with so many different people. <laughs> it's just beautiful. <laughs> um, so uh, we've got Odo, Bashir, and O'Brien. They're basically on K7. They've got tricorders, and they're scanning each triple, uh, which is going to take forever. And they're like, yeah, we can't keep up because they're just, they're breeding so fast. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, Dax is like, well, if we stick close to Kirk you know, go wherever he goes, that, that'll that lead us to the bomb, basically, because th this guy's placed it somewhere that Kirk is, you know, guaranteed to be. Um, and then we, uh, so we we get to see a brief uh, scene of, like, the mess hall in the Enterprise. Uh, Kirk is ordering his lunch, chicken salad and coffee. Mm -hmm. And instead of chicken salad and coffee... We get uh, tribbles and more tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Scotty shows up. 
he's got them stacked up in his arms, these tribbles, and he's like, they're in the vents, they're everywhere, <laughs> they're in the machinery. Um, and Spock is like, uh, you know those same vents are on the station, and that's where the grain is. <laughs> so they go there, and we get the... Um, we get the classic scene here of Kirk opening the door of the storage compartment and the Tribbles just come tumbling out, just falling on him <laughs> completely, <laughs> which is just, I mean, it's a great scene. It's a classic beloved episode for a reason. I mean, <laughs> we've, um, but at the same time, we've got Dax and Cisco in the compartment and they're scanning for the Tribble with the bomb What's great here is in the original episode, Tribbles at the end start falling out like one by one. Um, and so they, they kind of worked in that it's Dax and Cisco throwing the Tribbles out the door as they scanning them. (laughs) Just great. Just brilliant. I love this bit of writing here that that's why the Tribbles were just kind of like trickling out at the end, like bloop, bloop. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So then if you watch the original episode, you just know that Jadzia and Cisco are up there. <laughs> yes. And that's the best part. When you go back and watch the original series episode, you're exactly right. Your imagination fills in that, oh, there's Jadzia and Cisco in there throwing triples out as they're scanning them. You know, if you're a nerd like me, that's what you do. So... <laughs> Uh, of course, they find the bomb in time. They beam it into space where it explodes. And uh, Kirk doesn't die, of course. And history just goes on the way it's supposed to go. Uh, Kirk discovers that Darwin is a Klingon agent. Um, everything works out the way it's supposed to. And then Kira, uh, off screen, we didn't get to see it, but she somehow figured out how to use the orb of time. Good for her. And they get to go home. Pretty easy. <laughs> and, um, but before they go home, Cisco gets to do something that he always wanted to do. He gets to actually talk to Captain Kirk. Um, and, <laughs> This scene with Cisco uh, and Kirk is not from the episode Trouble with Tribbles. That is actually spliced in from the episode Mirror Mirror, which we covered uh, earlier mm-hmm. with uh, with Neil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also very apt considering it's a time travel type alternate universe type mm-hmm. thing as well. So. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's 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 a great uh, it's a great way to work that into this episode as well. Um, and, and it's a perfect little ending because it's, it's, you know, it, it, there's Cisco, there's Kirk saying Lieutenant, uh, you know, and then, okay, carry on, Lieutenant. It's just, it's just great. It's just a great little way to end. Cisco gets to talk to Kirk and, and it's, yeah. it's just, I mean, who wouldn't? Who, I mean, yeah. who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, it's like, I found it quite, I couldn't, when I was re-watching it, it's not something I'd noticed before, but obviously in the background you can see Uhura is looking over to whatever's going on with, with, with Kirk from the mm-hmm. end of Mirror Mirror. Yeah. But it obviously looks like she's staring at Cisco like, there's another person of color on this ship? I didn't know that. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean. It's, 
It's just the way she, it looks like she's constantly staring at him. I mean, it's a fine looking man. I probably stare at him too. So, you know, but it was very, you, you kind of realize the lack of diversity in the original series. It just looks like she's like, there's another person of color. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> when did we get another black guy on this show? I have no clue. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, for its time, I think original series, again, tried its best you know they had their moments where there it was definitely more diversity than you saw in other shows but oh, um could have they been better paved the way, they definitely paved the way oh absolutely i think um i think definitely you know like we were talking about earlier you know tng had its moments where it was trying to do things as well i, I thought tng definitely did try to keep uh, i definitely believe that they kept up the um the attitude of diversity as far as um having people of color on the show um and i think having of course deep space nine first black captain that was like a series regular um Mm -hmm. also very admirable um, and he's a single father as well, which is not something you normally see. Exa- that's another great point. Yeah, being a single father, being um, being the type of dad who like would kiss his son on the cheek, mm-hmm. kiss his son on the forehead, like that. And and nobody is going to accuse Benjamin Sisko of being like. I- I'm going to use the word sissy, even though I don't mean it in a in a bad like if you kiss your son on the cheek you're a sissy i don't mean it that way but like society tends to look at it that way um so like just general affection and just being affectionate with people is is just you know sometimes people just don't get it (laughs) exactly so to see like a black man in power uh who is tough I mean, he punched out Q. I mean, he punched Q. Like, he wasn't, like, he wasn't intimidated or scared of him in any way. And then to also be very tender and loving and affectionate with his son, uh, I think that's, I think that's an important thing to see on TV. I think it's an important thing to be normalized, to see men showing affection to their sons or to other men Mm -hmm. in a, in a completely appropriate way. So yeah. Um, also good steps forward. We, yeah, we always appreciate that too. Um, and then of course the final little thing, um, guess what's back everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Tribbles are back. They are no longer eradicated by the Klingon empire. And I do like that Odo, um, Ask Cisco, did you tell them? Mm-hmm. And Cisco, they didn't ask. <laughs> and then I think it's Jadzia who says, uh, we could build another station, I guess. But yeah, Tribbles are back, which is, uh, which is great. Maybe not great for the Klingon Empire, but it's great for everybody else. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is our episode. That is Trials and Tribulation. Awesome. Great choice, Kay. I'm so glad you picked this episode for us to review. Mm hmm. Me too. I'm glad I could come and help review it with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this is a, just a really great episode of Star Trek. Definitely a fan favorite. A little bit of fan service, but I love it. I think it's fan service yeah. done the right way. A piece of trivia that I always really liked was the fact yeah. that Walter Koenig came back to actually show people how to use the tech 
of the old Enterprise because obviously it all changed since the last time I came on to show them around for a day to sort of tell them about the panels and how they how they used to work. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so cool. That is very cool. I love the idea that he came on set to help them all figure out how to use the tech from the original series. He came to our like we have um like a fan convention here called Armageddon and he was here a couple of years ago. So I got my picture with him. So. Nice. Great picture. Oh, that's amazing. He was at uh, C2E2 last year in Chicago. And, uh, oh, this year, excuse me, because <laughs> that feels like it last year. It does feel like it's been years. That's, I can't believe that was only five months ago. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Yeah, he was at C2E2 earlier this year in Chicago. And um, Neil and I went to the panel and heard him speak. Also, George Takei was there, which was pretty exciting. We got to hear him speak as well. Yeah, he's great, Walter Koenig. He's a very fascinating, interesting guy. Yeah, when I lived in the UK in London, they had a big Star Trek convention, and I think they had all five captains. Oh, the picture yeah. way outside my budget. Way oh, outside I, my budget. That, so, oh, I can only imagine how much that was. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the autograph, and I got a picture with I've completely and utterly like forgotten his name. The one. It was from Deep Space Nine. He played the, you know, the race that was always cloned. Oh, uh, Wayun. Yes, so I had a um, picture with him. <laughs> Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Combs is the actor. Yes, I had a picture of Jeffrey Combs because he's in like hot, um, quite a few horror movies that I'm quite fond of as well. So I was like, okay, that was in my budget. I could, I can get a picture with him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's been in a lot of episodes of Track. He's played a lot of characters in the, in all the different series. So, um. Okay, before we wrap up, um, if people would like to know more about you or interact with you, are you anywhere on the interwebs or anywhere that people can uh, talk to you? Um, I don't have my own podcast set up yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let people know when it when it is done. <laughs> okay. Probably next time because of uh, work deadlines and everything. I often do reviews for uh, Eastern Fit Cinema. There's a website called Eastern Kicks. Dot com and I do reviews on there for Asian cinema. Mm, cool. so, yeah, I've got an Instagram. K New Zealand is usually where you find me under. Awesome. If you want to learn more about K, you could certainly uh, look up her reviews on her website. Could you tell me that website one more time? It's called easternkicks.com. Easternkicks.com. Yeah, I'm just one of the many writers there. Um, my my output is very very limited, obviously this year as well. But hopefully at the end of by the end of August there should be at least um, another eight reviews by me up because we've got our New Zealand Film Festival coming on is uh, is happening. So oh nice, exciting. Well, I hope you'll come back uh, for another episode with us. And yeah, uh, yes, I found my next favorite episode and then put that on the list too. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. I want to thank everybody uh, who's listening. I want to thank everybody who's uh, come on our show with their personal logs. We have some more episodes coming up. Uh, we've got some fun episodes where we're going to some themed uh, episodes mm-hmm. coming up. So big surprise. Nah, it's a little, we keep it a little mysterious, little surprises. And we even have somebody wants to do Enterprise. So that's exciting. Yes, we do. We also have somebody which uh would actually i think is going to review one of the movies Mm -hmm. with us uh we've got some fun stuff coming up and we appreciate everybody who's kept listening um even though picard is over Mm -hmm. but uh, we're still here talking about star trek so yeah we'll be back in another two weeks with another personal log another fun episode so and thanks of course to brooke as always who records and edits and puts up our episode even though she's very very busy and does a million other things but thank you brooke 
Facebook. Oh, yeah, doing no that. problem. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Kay for being on our show today. We appreciate you giving up your Saturday morning to be with us. Oh, such a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, that's it for us this time. Until the next episode, keep boldly going where no one has gone before. See ya. Bye. Bye. by Rebecca and Brooke. You can find us at facebook.com slash picardcast on twitter.com at thepicardcast or email us at picardcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and boldly go where no one has gone before.